Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO of iRelaunch. You are listening to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast about strategies, advice, and success stories on returning to work after a career break. Today, I'm speaking with Susan Black. Susan Black is a managing director at Boston Private, a wealth management firm. She functions as a trusted advisor who helps her clients achieve their financial goals while staying true to their values. Her commitment to the honest and open communications is at the center of her practice. Susan acts as a fiduciary, putting her clients' interests ahead of her own, and is always happy to share the wealth of her extensive network. Today, we're talking to Susan about a very specific topic, reinvention and resilience, which are two essential qualities for relaunch success. And we're so excited to welcome you today, Susan. Carol, thank you so much for having me. It's truly a pleasure, and I've enjoyed participating in the iRelaunch conferences that I've attended. It's kind of ironic that I should be on this particular conversation in that I personally have kind of reinvented myself and relaunched careers, sometimes after a break, sometimes not, five times. And so thank you very much for hosting this podcast, and I'm delighted to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you, and it's those uh, moments of reinvention that we really want to focus on here. Um, You said that you've reinvented your professional life five times in your long career, um, and that's been in response to these milestone moments in your life, both positive and negative, and we really want to get into a deeper conversation about how you managed to do that and um, the role of resilience uh, in um, moving through those transitions. So to start us off, I wanted to know if you could give us some highlights uh, about some of those uh, moments. And then I want to ask you more questions to get into details about certain aspects of them. Delighted to share the story. Um, as we all know, our favorite radio station is WIIFM, What's In It For Me? And so I'm happy to share my personal experiences, both because of the fact that I think learning from other people's sometimes monstrous mistakes can be effective in avoiding certain pitfalls, and sometimes just to hear that you don't have to do it right all the time. I remember at my 20th college reunion, sitting around with a bunch of the women with whom I attended freshman year and saying, why didn't we get back together all this time? And to a person, we looked around the room and said, I never felt like I was successful enough to face all of you. Mm. And to wow. a person, we went around and each, there was a woman who was the head of an OBGYN medical faculty. There was a woman who was a brand manager at Campbell Soup. There was a woman who was the managing director at a very large bank. And how was it that we didn't feel like we were successful enough? And the answer was because what had been laid out for us as the right way to do things wasn't the way we had chosen to do things or the way things happened. And what I walked away from that event with was a sense of we all do it differently. And although some of us take the highway to get from point to point, others of us choose the scenic route or have the highway not open to us. And in making those detours and taking those side trips and exploring new vistas, we become the people who we are. And then we can take advantage of those learnings to make us more successful 
at our next stop along the road. Wow, that that's a great way to start. Um, it's it's interesting because when we uh, talk to relaunchers, we tell them that they should be going to their reunions, even if they see, feel vulnerable in that way, um, that they don't have a good story to tell. So it's interesting that that was a moment that sort of uh, crystallized a lot of this for you. So can you talk to us about some of those um, uh, uh reinvention moments in your life uh, and some of the triggers for them and, and how you responded. Absolutely. So the first one was I was on um, a semester abroad studying in Israel when I was barely 21 years old and I got engaged and decided to stay there and suddenly realized I hadn't completed my bachelor's degree and I needed to find a job. And literally overhearing a conversation on a bus, I leaned over and said to a very, very pregnant woman in front of me, I can speak English and Hebrew and I'd be happy to be the person who fills in for you on your maternity leave, which launched me into a career in aviation. And I ended up working at the coordination center of the Ben Gurion airport. From there... So as a result of my job at the coordination center of the Ben-Gurion airport, when the woman whose job I had been filling in for came back from maternity leave, the marketing director at Israel Aircraft Industry offered me an opportunity to work in his department. And so I worked in marketing for private aviation, which meant private jets, that would fly people all over the world, mostly corporate executives. And since I was on the marketing team, I would get to go on flights to Athens for lunch. I had a U.S. passport. I was facile with languages. And I was working in the marketing department. This was all well and good until I realized that it wasn't a long-term strategy for me to be in a career that would involve flying around the world since I was about to have a child. Right. And so I figured out that I'd have to do something else. This was back in the day when the Israeli Ministry of Education had an opportunity for people who had finished a portion of a bachelor's degree to get teaching certification. And while I was working days, I was going to school nights. And so I was finishing my bachelor's at Bar-Ilan University. I got my teaching certification. And a very pregnant person went in and began teaching English as a second language. Hence, my career in education got started. Mm -hmm. It was kind of interesting. I worked in very poor neighborhoods with kind of disadvantaged populations, focusing on the fact that having English as a second language would give them opportunities. And so the parents were very much on my side. And I got to know those communities very well, realizing that there was a requirement to better understand the emotional and community drivers for people to do well. So I ended up finishing a degree focusing on psychology, sociology. And when we decided to come back to the States to get graduate degrees, I focused on educational counseling. So I began my master's program as a master's in education with a concentration in counseling. And what happened then was my marriage, unfortunately, was breaking up. By this time, I had had uh, eight years of teaching experience. I was the mother of two children, about to be a single mom. And I thought to myself, 
you know, we're moving to a service economy. Wouldn't it be cool if there was an educational protocol for people who were not going to be MBA VP marketing people, but the support structure and the infrastructure of an entire cadre of next tier people who needed marketing education. So through the School of Ed, I got access to Baker Library at Harvard Business School, where I did all my research and actually wrote a textbook. And the reason for writing the textbook was twofold. Number one, it was truly fascinating and interesting. And number two, I realized nobody says you can't come interview me if you're doing research. So I got to meet with top marketing professionals all over the country to write this book. And after I got my master's with a double concentration in education, counseling, and management, um, I was able to effectively market myself into sales. Hence, the next phase of my career began. Wait, so let me just stop you at this point, because it feels to me that these first couple of changes um, were significantly enabled by education, by that you were um, getting another degree either at night or I don't know what the circumstances were um, once you moved back to the States. So um, would you agree that, that if you had to think about a theme that was, was one of the most important enablers in these first two transitions that it had to do with furthering your education in some way? Or um, were there other factors that you think w were just as important? I think there were probably three main drivers that I would look to. Number one, I have a standing joke with all my friends, when in doubt, go back to school. Because what happens when you go into an academic environment is not only do you get to learn what you're trying to learn, but you're in a facility, community, a scenario where asking questions is not only encouraged, it's required. So you have the opportunity to do what we'll call peer learning. It's not just I, what I learned from other professors. It's what I learned from the other members of my class, from people who were considering enrolling in these programs. The administrative staff who would you know, brag about specific students and their success stories. There's a lot to be gained and learned just from being in an academic environment, even if you're only taking a course at a time. So that's one theme. Another is that when you are in an academic environment, or you're thinking of a change, um, there's a level of bravery that you are empowered with because seekers of knowledge, whether they're going through a formal or an autodidact process, are allowed to ask really hard questions. So you're giving yourself permission to ask and learn, but you're also giving people around you the opportunity to tell you what they think. And sometimes what they think is that you're really not making a good choice, and that's helpful as well. And the third is, I think the other part of the theme is, I had no idea that I was gonna end up in, av in aviation or education. Mm. But there were opportunities that presented themselves and I took the opportunity and said, I could do that. Okay. And so the sense of let's try, what's the worst thing that can happen? We'll try something else. You know, I just want to um, interject at this moment because you're touching on a few things uh, that have to do with 
being open. Don't be like overly focused on you have to follow a certain path. Um, and so being open to new possibilities and then a certain fearlessness that, that goes along with uh, being willing to dive into an area that is new and different for you. So um, I think that's really important for relaunchers. And the other piece, um, the comments that you're making about education, you know, we have opportunities now to take courses online, which have a lot of benefits. Um, I remember talking to a dean at, at um, Northeastern and they have a huge number of online courses and they track who takes the courses at what time of day. And between midnight and four in the morning, um, the biggest population of people taking courses are, are online than are stay-at-home parents. <laughs> So I, I thought that, that was interesting. That's when it's quiet. Um, but you know, on the flip side, we we also encourage people to consider um, going to courses that are in person for exactly the reasons that you state. Uh, you're, you're not only are you you know updating yourself um, and and learning current thinking in a particular field, but your network expands. Your your other your fellow students, your professor, and then sometimes by virtue of your student status, you have access to um, career services or career fairs or the opportunity to interview for um, internships or jobs. So lots of benefits about um, being back on campus uh, in person. I totally agree. And if campus is too far, there are a lot of courses that, believe it or not, that are offered by various social and professional groups, things like Toastmasters, where you have the opportunity to hone your speaking and public speaking skills. So even if you don't live near a college or university, it's possible to go and do other types of courses where you can really hone specific skills that are required to re-enter the job market. Excellent point. Can I so, just sorry? Can I just yes, touch back on. on one of the things that you said? Sure. So now I can be kind of glib and look back. And you use the word fearless. So I will tell you that you can make it look like you're fearless. You can stand in the mirror, literally smiling at yourself and saying, you go girl, you can do this. You have everything it takes. Why should anybody else do this instead of you? Even if on the inside, you're like a bowl of jello and petrified that some gonna, somebody's going to realize that your jello is lime green instead of rosy raspberry. And I think that that's a really important thing because the idea of fake it till you make it, I don't ever suggest that anybody be disingenuous or that they lack authenticity. But you can be as brave looking as you want, even if you're feeling scared. I'm so glad that you are saying this because so many of us who are relaunching feel really scared and we feel really vulnerable uh, and that we can't figure out how to put our skill set together or even where to start. And uh, hearing that from you, uh, someone who has gone through these transitions, even though in the moment they might have been really difficult on so many levels, um, and you've come out on the other side and, and a retros you know, in retrospect um, can have this perspective, it's, it's extremely helpful. The other piece of it is, is that don't be afraid to call out, literally pick up a telephone, walk up to somebody. I always tell, you know, people who I'm working with, they'll say, I can't just walk up to insert name of famous personality here who happens to be in my building having lunch and just say, hi, would love to ask your advice or just want to comment on you know, something that I saw you do. 
people are actually flattered when you recognize them and tell them that you admire their work or that you'd like to ask them a quick question. And the worst thing that can happen is that they either A, ignore you, or B, don't answer you, in which case you're no further back than you were before you asked. You are listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast about strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after a career break. This is Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO of iRelaunch, and I'm here today with Susan Black, Managing Director at Boston Private, who is talking about reinvention and resilience, two qualities important to relaunch success. And we're right in the middle of that conversation. And I, Susan, I just wanted to jump back into sort of some of the, the next um, phases of your reinvention and some of the circumstances around those. So please continue your story. So here's where we get into some of the more dicey parts of this story. So I mentioned that I wrote this book as part of a master's program, a dual master's program, and everything was going swimmingly in terms of my academics, in terms of the business I was building, um, I had all kinds of opportunities with big and small companies, only in my personal life, things were kind of falling apart. And the reason you've never seen my book, Carol, is because it didn't get published. And that was under advice of counsel who said, you know, you're going through a divorce. This would not be the time to start publishing. Wow. So there I was. You know, I mentioned that, you know, I kind of got into this as a single mom and so here I am, a single mom, and by the way, it took four years to get this divorce through the courts, so that was not a good time. Yeah. And during that time, I realized that I had to kind of rebuild myself, my sense of confidence. I think any of your listeners or anybody who's ever been through a divorce can tell you that it calls into question every decision you've ever made in your life and whether or not you can trust yourself. So in the midst of all of that, I'm thinking... Now I have to support two children. Now I have to rebuild a business. Now I have to kind of reconfigure who I am. And at that point, I really learned about resilience. I learned about picking out what were the aspects of what I was doing that were, you know, that were effective and working. And what did I have to let go of? And what did I have to say, this is going to be part of the me who I am going forward, and what's going to be the parts of me that I'm going to have to let go of, no matter how formative they were in an earlier life and career, what did I need to do to really build? And I think that that also, and it doesn't happen immediately. So a number of my clients who I was working with at the time, who were wonderful, terrific people, we're no longer going to fit into the way that I was going to build my new business in sales and marketing. And I had to let go. And it took me in some instances years to be able to go back to them and say, I'm really sorry, but that was what I needed to do in order to move forward. And what surprised me more than anything is after having those conversations, having people come to me and say, we understood that. We understood that it wasn't personal. And now that you're in your new career, not only do we want to be your friend, we want to be your client. Wow. So I think, you know, trusting your gut to go ahead and do those things is really important. That is, is, is it's so significant um, on, on, on many levels. You know, we have relaunchers who are afraid to get back in touch with people 
um, who maybe who were their boss um, or were ed- had other you ha- they had significant professional relationships with um, because they're afraid the person will be upset that they haven't been in touch for a long time or they're afraid the person won't remember them anymore. Uh, so hearing that uh, particular part of your story, I think sends a clear message to relaunchers that uh, it's a no lose situation in getting back in touch with people. Uh, and you know, more often than not, you're going to hear that they remember you, they are not mad at you, and in your case, it wasn't personal, and they really understood under the circumstances why you did what you did. Yeah, I think it was, and you know, there were a few who said that's very nice, and we're not friends right now, and there are others who not only supported me through you know the next job, but the job after that, and then when I did another career change, they followed me again. And the reason was because I was honest and I was straightforward and I told them what was going on, you know, despite in some cases a level of embarrassment, like I know that this wasn't what we had hoped for. Here's why, here's how. And I'd like to reestablish the relationship. So, so what were those relationships? So I mentioned that I wrote this book mm-hmm. and at the time I was creating kind of a promotional marketing agency and this was your own was this your own business or you were working for someone else I started off working for somebody else during the time that I was still in school and they sold the company unbeknownst to me I was more than 50% of the corporate gross at the time and then um, when the acquiring entity in my estimation was not managing the business the way I would have not to say it was right or wrong it just wasn't my style And we had a conversation about how we could or would work together going forward. And I realized it wasn't what I wanted. So I decided to become an entrepreneur and launch this promotional marketing agency. So I did that um, very successfully. I focused on the vertical markets within my area. And since I live in the greater Boston area, it was high tech financial services, not-for-profit, and general business, which basically means anybody could have been my client, but I really focused more on the high-tech and the financial services end, and then hired people who had experience and expertise in the other arenas, built a business that um, began using technology pretty early on. So we were early adopters. We had URLs and email proofing and online imaging starting in the very early 1990s. Wow, you were really ahead of the curve. Yeah. So in 1998, when it became evident, I mean, I was doing online imaging with clients who were in Holland or the Far East. And I said to myself, we need to be an e-business. We need to be doing digital stuff. And in order to do that effectively, I'm going to need a lot of capital just around the time that a publicly traded entity that traded on the New York Stock Exchange came to me and said, we really like your client list. And so I sold the company, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. So here's the cautionary tale. When you're selling a company, make sure that you have an addition to the business broker, your attorney, and your CPA, a trusted advisor who understands finance. I didn't. People just assumed that because I was somebody who had been in aviation, education, sales and marketing, promotional advertising, 
as an entrepreneur that I surely knew how to manage money, stocks, mm -hmm. options, warrants, calls. I hadn't a clue. But nobody assumed that. And when I asked my, you know, broker or my accountant, you know, am I okay? They're like, oh, yeah, you're fine. By 2000, the spread from the shares that I got in the sale of the business. Now, remember, this is 1998. Sock puppets are garnering tremendous valuations on Wall Street. <laughs> um, right. People are buying eyeballs, not dollars. Right. And so this right. all looked amazing. When 2000, 2001 came along and the dot-com bubble burst, I had way too many stock options. I now have documents with which I can line canary cages, except I don't have a bird. And so I began talking to people about next steps. And since I had already committed that I was going to do a lot of work as a philanthropist, because remember, on paper, I had a whole lot of money. Mm -hmm. I created a not-for-profit integrating the work of two other not-for-profits focusing on independent schools and building education to help various you know, educational communities. That was great, except when the dot-com bubble burst and all of those shares were basically worthless, I realized I was going to have to send these children to college. Um, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention along the way, I also rebuilt my personal life. I met a wonderful man, remarried, and had another child. Wow. So here I am. Wow, wonderful. So at any rate, so what I did at that point was I realized that I had to find an underserved and underserviced market that I could help. And using my own personal story of not understanding finance, I said, you know, women are an underserved and underserviced market in financial services. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting a job working for one of the largest wealth managers on the planet so that I could build a women's wealth management entity. Right. And right. that's how I got to my current career. That is incredible, um, that, that whole evolution. Um, and so when you were at that moment where uh, you're on paper, you got a lot of money, but in reality, and, and after the dot-com bust, um, the, those shares became worthless. How, how did you transition through that, um, uh, that financial event? Um, so I was very fortunate in that I tend to be somewhat frugal and somewhat conservative with my own finances, and where somebody else may have said, you know, wow, this is awesome, and gone out and bought the beach house and the fancy cars and the boat. I paid off my mortgage, built my kitchen, and put money away so my kids could go to college. Wow. So, wow. you know, I didn't have necessarily enough for all the tuitions, but I was in a situation where as long as I could work, there would be a roof over our heads and food in our mouths, and clothes on our backs. Full disclosure, I really like clothes, so I knew I had to go get a better job because the wardrobe is not going to hold up. That's great. Well, that, that's an incredible story, and um, we're going to wrap up in the next uh, few minutes. So I wanted to ask you, you know, we've covered so much ground, um, and there were so many lessons learned, I think, that, that you've discussed along the way. I'm wondering um, if you, we'd like to close with 
a best piece of advice or favorite advice um, that you would have for relaunchers, even if it repeats something that we've already talked about? I'm wondering what that might be. So I have a saying that I use fairly frequently, which is you cannot drive just looking in the rear view. You can look in the rear view to get a sense of where you've been and maybe lessons learned. But if you're looking at a clean windshield, then you're looking ahead and you're looking forward. And if you keep moving forward, you may decide that you need to turn left, right, take a fork, but at least there's forward motion. And you may not know where you're going, but that's okay because you'll get where you need to be. I love that. Uh, <laughs> did you create that yourself? You know, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> I think that we all create everything. You know, all of us are an amalgam of everybody we know, the people we've learned from, and mm -hmm. the experiences we've been through. And I don't know that we get, you know, real points for originality, unless, of course, we're working in, in you know, intellectual property law. Right. I think right. what we get points for is being true to a core belief of who we are, taking care of ourselves, because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others, and then caring for the people in the world around us to make it a better place. Wow, I love that. And I love ending on that note. Um, Susan, can you just tell us a little bit um, about uh, what, what you do now and if people want to get in, in touch with you um, uh, about your work at Boston Private or um, in any other way, how can they uh, connect? So Boston Private is defined as a wealth management entity and really it's wealth management, trust services, banking, which includes all of private banking, lending, including commercial lending. And the thing about being part of an organization like Boston Private is we can help our clients with every aspect of their financial lives. And when working with me, we sometimes go into the personal to be able to understand values so that when your valuables align with your values, you're probably in a better position to achieve your goals. The best way to email me is sblack at bostonprivate.com. And I'm eager to help people to achieve their goals, get where they're going. And the firm is wonderful. And I might add that more than 50% of our independent directors are women. Excellent. That's so generous of you. Um, thanks for giving us that background and, and a way for people to contact you. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Susan. Thanks uh, for being with us. Thank you so much. You've been listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast about strategies, advice, and success stories on returning to work after a career break. This is Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO of I Relaunch. And for those of you who are relaunching careers and want tools and resources and strategies and events and all sorts of information about how to do it, go to irelaunch.com. Thanks for being with us today.